How's it going, everybody? How's it going? I'm Brother Matthew, and this is Christian Coffee Time, where we sit down together to study the Word of God. And here we are, back at it again. And we've been working our way through the Gospel of Matthew, and we are up to chapter 5, and we worked our way through the first bit, and still got a whole bunch more to go. But I think we got up to verse 16. So we're going to be picking up where we left off. So please grab your Bibles, notepads, and pens. And grab your tea, grab your coffee, whatever it is you're having for breakfast, lunch, or dinner, or snack, or whatever. And come join us at the table. Turn to Matthew 5 and follow along. If you have any comments, questions, issues, insights regarding the study at hand, please by all means go ahead, ask away, be glad to hear from you. If it is not related to the topic at hand, if you could just hold that to the end of the study or to our next broadcast, we'll try to get to it then, as we want to try to limit our rabbit trailing as much as we can. But uh, I know we fail at that one miserably all the time, but nonetheless, we tr uh, try to do what we can to stay on point, stay on topic. And the topic here, again, is we're going through the life of Jesus Christ. Uh, what uh, he says and what he's talking about, his doctrines, his teachings, uh, what he's showing us, uh, the fulfillments of prophecy, his person, and everything related. So, good morning, good morning. Uh, purely good morning. Uh, Bobo says good morning. Listen to this while driving home from Nashville. Uh, be careful, keep your eyes on the road. <laughs> okay <clears throat> so previously in Matthew 5 uh, we're talking about the Sermon on the Mount and uh, who this message is directed to and we see by this in verse 1 and 2 Jesus is talking to his disciples specifically this is a message for the saints. This is not a message that Jesus just preached to the crowd. Is it possible that others may have overheard it? Well, it says when he saw the multitude, he went up into the mountain. And when he was set, his disciples came to him. So he, he's specifically talking to them. He's addressing them. This is meant for them. And only they were meant to hear this. This is only meant for them. So this brings up a topic that I've addressed before. Uh, the problem with many different evangelist preachers, apologeticists, where they go out and they're debating with the with the unsaved, with the world, is the flaw of trying to teach the unsaved about different doctrines before they even have the Holy Spirit of God, before they're even saved. Uh, you're kind of getting the cart before the horse. What they need to hear is the gospel first. There's literally no point in trying to convince them, teach them about other doctrines if they are not even saved. They're not going to understand it. Yeah, to understand the things of, this, uh, of the Word of God, they have to have the Spirit of God. If, if they have not the Spirit of God, they will not understand the things of the Lord. So we want to remember priority when it comes to witnessing all this and that the Beatitudes and all this is all great, but that's going to be muddying the waters and and uh, and confusing them and teaching them other things first before you're teaching them the gospel so this is why we see in scripture like for this example jesus taught his disciples 
these things on the beatitudes the christ likeness and all of these things he taught he's teaching them about as we will be looking at about the law and the prophets and all of this what the multitudes need to hear is the person of jesus christ the gospel salvation about uh, their sins how they need to repent and believe the gospel for the kingdom of heaven is at hand so prioritization on uh, message points on who you're talking to all right matthew 5 and we're going to be picking up where we left off now verse 16 Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. To let your light. Who is he talking to? The disciples. We talked about the light. uh, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. So what is our light? Is it our righteousness? Our good works? Our deeds? Well, let's look what he says. Let your light. Now we back up. What is the light of the candle? We... And we discussed this about uh, specifically about it's not our righteousnesses because we have none. It's not about uh, it's not about us. We're not showing ourselves. It's not about our personality, our person, but the the light of the wick in the candle is the spirit of Christ. It's Christ working through us, Christ speaking through us. It's Christ being manifested through us. I live yet not I, but Christ lives through me. So we see, let your light so shine before men. So your light, the the light of Christ in your life, the good works of Jesus Christ in your life, that they may see your good works. Well, is it our good works or is it his good works through us? Why are you doing what you are doing? So ultimately what it comes down to is even the very works and the fruit and the things that we do and and manifest and bear are not our own. For if it wasn't for the spirit of Christ within us, we wouldn't be doing any of that. Or if we were doing any of these things, it wouldn't be for the proper benefit, for the proper reason. I'm convinced of that one. So when we see that they may see your good works, because again, what are the good works for? Just to earn favor with God, to earn brownie points uh, with the Father, uh, to get his attention, that he would pay more attention to us, that he would answer our prayers more. What's the point of the good works? 1 Peter 3.15. What's the point, the purpose of good works? 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. But sanctify, meaning to set first and foremost... To, to set up, to, to elevate, to put first as the most important, to set on the pedestal, to honor, to glorify, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, putting him first and foremost in everything that you do. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. That doesn't say in your mind. It says in your heart. So the belief of faith, the works of faith, and everything of your being, this is what it is. Not just of intellectualism, but it's also of the heart. But sanctify the Lord God in your heart and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Now, my question is, what is drawing them? Why are they coming to ask you about this? What has gotten their attention? 
Let's go back to James, chapter 2. And verse 24. You see then how that by works a man is justified, and not by faith only. Now, people get confused by this one and say, see, see, it's not, we're not saved just by grace through faith alone. Yes, we are, because the Bible flat out says we are, so therefore this is talking about something else. The context of James, again, let's go over this. The context of James is, you see, he's talking to Christians who are already saved. And he's talking about charity and Christian behavior for the purpose of promotion of the faith, not maintenance of salvation in any way, shape, or form. We see in verse 27, pure religion and undefiled before, before God and the Father is this, to visit the fathers and the widows in their affliction, to keep himself unspotted from the world. Pure religion. Now, religion is the outward physical manifestation of your belief of faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So your belief, your faith, which you believe in for your salvation, is shown, manifested, by the works which is the religion religion is the outward physical manifestation of your belief of faith you know you hear so many professed christians say well it, it's it's a relationship not a religion christianity is not a religion <laughs> um no you're wrong as we do see religion is the manifestation the works of your faith the 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 physical deeds and all these things so the how about by works as we see it's not by works of righteousness which we have done but by his mercy he saved us by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves is the gift of god not of works so we see the difference here so therefore what he's talking about in verse 24 how that by works a man is justified so you say you have faith I'll show you my faith by my works, as it says. So, for as the body of the spirit is dead, so faith that works is dead also. You say you're a Christian. You say you believe. Well, well what's, what's to show the difference? What would get the people's attention? You'd tell me, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. Oh, yeah, I believe in Jesus. Where's the evidence? That which will grab their attention to convict them of this, uh, that will open the door of opportunity where, where, where they would actually be interested in what you're saying. Words are cheap. Prove it. That's what James is saying. Ultimately, when it comes down to, you could call that the, the Brother Matthew commentary, uh, uh, words are cheap, prove it. That's what James is talking about. So, we see Jesus is saying here in verse 16 of Matthew 5, let your light so shine before men they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven, that you will be glorifying your Father which is in heaven by this, and they will too, because they will see that what you're doing is good and they will be praising this. They see this as a good thing, and it draws them, opens opportunity for the Spirit of God to work. This glorifies God. So it's a win-win. That's what Jesus is saying here, Matthew 5, 16. That's what uh, Peter's talking about, 1 Peter 3, 15. That's what James is talking about in, uh, in, in, in James 2. Works are for promotion of the faith, illustration of the faith, 
to draw people by your good works to open doors of utterance to draw people to Christ. It strengthens and encourages and edifies the saints. It glorifies God and it draws the lost to Christ. That's what works are for. Works are not salvationary. God does not need your works. Your neighbor does. All right. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? Hope it does. Clear as mud. <laughs> okay. Now, in Jesus talking about works, and talking about the deeds and all these things, and talking about this, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are they which hunger and thirst after righteousness, ye are the salt of the earth, ye are the light of the world, let your light so shine before men. And he's talking about works and deeds in the proper context, and he, and he seems to be kind of challenging the authority of the Pharisees by this, because the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and all of these legalistic, uh, the heretics and whatnot, these legalistic dogs, that uh, they are preaching works to earn favor with God, works to earn your salvation, that, uh, that uh, it's by the legalistic fulfillment of law that uh, you work your way to heaven. Jesus is saying no, he's showing the proper path of this. And some people get confused by that. And this is what Jesus says in verse 17. Think not that I am come to destroy the law, the prophets. I'm, I'm not come to, I'm not changing the law. I'm not changing anything. Like he says, I'm not changing anything. Think not that I'm come to destroy the law, the prophets. I'm not come to destroy, but to fulfill. I'm not doing away with the law. I'm not doing away with what the prophet said. I'm fulfilling it. This is what it what it's actually saying. This is what it's all actually about. This is what the law is for. Let's go to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. Look what it says in verse 21. Is the law then against the promises of God? God forbid. For if there had been a law, Galatians 3.21, Galatians 3.21, if there had been a law given which could have given life, meaning everlasting life, by law, by keeping of law, by the mandating of law, by the serving of law, if there had been a law given which could have given life, verily righteousness should have been by the law. For the scripture hath concluded all under sin, that the promises by faith of Jesus Christ might be given them, given to them that believe. But before faith came, we were kept under the law. Before faith came, we were kept under the law. Uh, where am I? Shut up unto faith, which should afterwards be revealed. Wherefore the law, the law was our schoolmaster and instructor. That, that which gave understanding, gave clarity, that helped you to come, come to an understanding of your state. Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster that educated you to bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we're no longer under the schoolmaster, because we're under a new schoolmaster, the Holy Spirit, not the law. The law was given to educate, to show, to help you to understand that you are a sinner and that you need a savior. That there must be the sacrifice, a sacrifice atonement for sin. And that, that if, that, uh, 
that if you don't believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you will have to suffer the, the wages of sin. Wherefore the laws are schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. For the law was given uh, not for the righteous, but for the unrighteous, for the unholy and the profane. Okay? So then we see in Galatians chapter 2, verse 16, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ, not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. So we're justified by faith. That's what the Bible says. We're justified by faith. Now what does justified mean? Can anyone tell me in the comments? What does justified mean? I need to have a... Uh, the Jeopardy. I need to click something that can play the Jeopardy theme music. I'd love to have that. <laughs> what does justified mean? Let's see if this is working. Is it working? Hello? Unable to connect to chat. We're having some technical problems here. Not sure what's going on. <clears throat> All right, can you folks hear me? Hello, hello. I don't know why this happens. Every once in a while, our our internet just goes out. Just no reason. Don't know why. Don't know what's going on. Um, let's just try to keep going. If, if anybody just tell me you can hear me. Got nothing yet. All right. All right, let's keep going. All right, uh, can anyone hear me? Hello, hello. <laughs> I hate technical issues like this. I never know if it's fixed or if it's not. That shows an error occurred. Please try again later. I don't know how to fix this. Hello, hello. Can you folks hear me? All I need is a sound. I don't care so much about this. All right. All right, we got confirmation it's working. Also, a reminder, I need to mute my phone. Okay. <laughs> okay you can see people chatting all right i can't it doesn't show availability of chat so okay folks if you can hear me uh that's great unfortunately i can't see the chat it's the chat's broken on my end and it won't show me anybody's uh chatting so we'll just have to keep going just to remember i can't see any of your comments <clears throat> okay Sorry about that. Let's just keep going. Unless there's a quick fix here. Is there a quick fix? Oh, there, there it is. <laughs> I'm smart. Okay. 
<laughs> now I, I, I may, well, the pop-out window, I can see people's chat. Okay, so that works. Okay, let's keep going. Enough distraction. <laughs> okay. Where in the world did I leave off? <clears throat> oh, justified. We're talking about justification. Okay, and we're back. <laughs> All right, so we see in Galatians chapter 2, verse 16, it says, Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law. Okay, Paul flat out says, now keep this in mind. Paul flat out says, Knowing that a man is not justified, is not justified by the works of the law. Look what he says. That's why it's important to understand how the clear interpretation. Paul says, by grace, unmerited favor, are you saved through faith, which is believing trust. Faith is not works, not of yourselves, not of works, not by righteous works. It's not by the works of the law. We are not justified by the law. We are not justified by works. Paul flat out says this. It says this clearly, okay? Just as it says here, the clear interprets the unclear. Knowing that a man is not justified. But then James, over in James chapter 2, he says something interesting. Look what he says. James chapter 2, verse 24. You see then how that by works a man is justified and not by faith only. Paul says we are not justified by works in the law. James says a man is justified by works and not by faith only okay hold up a minute okay we have a few things to consider this are there two different ways of salvation no there's only one way of salvation there's only one door one narrow road one way one truth one life one gospel one spirit one christ one cross one resurrection it's by one way one way only so there aren't multiple ways of salvation. So, okay, so Paul's not giving a gospel for the Gentiles and James is giving a gospel for the Jews. No, 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 no. There, there aren't, there's no dichotomy of this. Okay, then we got a bit of an issue because Paul says not by works, so we're not justified by the law. James says it, it, that, that, that we're not justified by faith only, but by works. Okay justified in what context now as you see the salvific point here is salvation is by grace through faith by belief alone not of works not by works of the law we're justified by faith only in jesus christ salvation that's talking about salvation what is james talking about promotion of the faith what justifies us before men Okay, what justifies us before God? Faith in Christ alone. We're justified before God by Christ alone, by grace alone, by faith alone. We're justified before men by the deeds. James is talking about here that James is talking to Christians who are already saved. And he's talking about charity and Christian behavior for promotion of the faith. Declaration. 
the proclamation of the faith on on drawing others that before men that that justifies our message that justifies what we are saying before them is the proof the evidence the proof is in the pudding which is the works that's what james is talking about but you you see how some people could get really tied up in this some people get really tied up in this, their, their brains all tied up in knots and really confused by this because, well, I thought we're by grace, but James says this, but James says faith that works is dead. James says faith that works is dead. Faith that works is dead. Of what context? James, James is referring to what Jesus saying here in Matthew 5 verse 16. Matthew 5, 16. You say you have faith, but I'll show you my faith by my works. My light, my goodness kind of thing happens. I don't know why this keeps happening. Our internet keeps crashing. I have an idea. Uh, the past few days, <clears throat> excuse me, the past few days, I have been witnessing evangelizing to Satanists. Uh, witches and occultists uh, the past few days um, a lot of them have been getting quite upset at this and uh, some of them have been cursing me uh, so I'm not worried about any of that but it's just seems to be coincidental that this is happening now uh, we're having problems with our power problems with our internet feed um and especially at this very moment everything was perfect all morning until the moment i go to broadcast and then the internet all starts going crazy and I, i've been witnessing to them I, i've been witnessing to them this morning um so i have a feeling it could be related to that but uh what is the chaff what is the chaff to the wheat um we will keep going and if we have to keep restarting every few minutes we'll do that I'm going to get through this message. We're going to keep going. So if you just be pl uh, praying along with me, uh, rebuking any effect that the enemy could be having or whatever this is, asking that the uh, the Lord would hold the feed so we could finish our study, that the enemy would have no ground here. All right? So please be praying with me. Okay. Um, Oh, I just got a notification that there is a, it seems to be an internet outage just down the road uh, from me. So who knows? It's, I just find it interesting. It's all, all happening at the same time, but let's keep going. Okay. What was I saying? Oh yeah. We're talking about justification. So the difference between what Paul is saying and the difference between what James is saying. Okay, so we understand the clear interprets the unclear. All right, the clear interprets the unclear. Um, that what Paul says clearly, what he's talking about, and now what James is saying clearly. We have to understand context, and we have to understand what James is addressing. James is addressing what Jesus is saying about shining your light before men that they may see your good works. Why? So for, uh, for the purpose of drawing them unto the Lord. So we see this is how it's always meant to be. Works do not justify us before God. There is no such thing as really that as law keeping. You can't keep the law. 
the, the, the law is not made for men, but for the unrighteous, for the unholy and the profane. The law was not made for the righteous men, but for the unrighteous. The law was made as a schoolmaster, was given as a schoolmaster for sin. The law does not bring life. So we see, what, well, therefore, when we compare Scripture to Scripture, rightly dividing the word of truth, we see what Jesus is getting at here. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. Jesus Christ, you please keep the feed. And that uh, these problems would stop, that your word would go forth. We rebuke all hindrances in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, let your word go forth unhindered. Let's keep going. All right. So, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works. The good works of Jesus Christ for the purpose of the promotion, the proclamation of the gospel, so that the unsaved could hear the truth of Jesus Christ. Let your light so shine. And, these, and we see the characteristics, the nature, the attributes of Jesus Christ. They would see the mercy, the grace, the, 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 the goodness, the, the comfort. They would see the doctrine, the theology, the things of the Lord, the promises of God that would bring hope, peace, and understanding to the unsaved. That they would be drawn to this and they would see and understand these things. Now, we are not the preachers of conviction. What do I mean by that? You can't preach conviction. I don't convict you. You don't convict me. The Spirit of God is the convictor. He does the convicting. He does the convincing. He does the drawing. He does all the work. He does everything that's needed. He brings the understanding, the enlightenment. He brings the education of it. What do we do? We just speak it. We speak it, he does it. And they went everywhere preaching the gospel, and the Lord worked with them, confirming the word, confirming the word, proving the word uh, by justif justifying it, uh, proving it, convincing it, convicting, doing all the work. So the Lord says, go and shine. Just go and shine. Go and shine as, as candles in the dark. Let your light so shine that they may see your good works. I'm not come. To, I'm not changing anything, as Jesus says in verse 17. I'm not changing anything. I'm rather I'm establishing it. I'm proving it. This is how it's supposed to be. This is how it was meant to be. But there are others, the Pharisees and all of them, that are changing it. They're the ones changing it. I'm declaring it as it's meant to be, as it was initially given. But there are those that corrupted it. Think that I'm come to destroy the law of the prophets. I'm not come to destroy, but to fulfill. I've come to fulfill these things, to be the fulfillment. Verse 18, for verily I say unto you, verily, meaning truly, truly, this is truth. I say unto you. Okay, now, what I would like you to do, if you're into underlining, highlighting, or marking in your Bible, um, <clears throat> Where you see in verse 18, Jesus says, I say unto you. Could you take your pen, your highlighter, or whatever it is, and underline, highlight, or mark that right there. I say unto you. Just, just those four words. I say unto you. 
okay? And then I'm going to skip ahead here just a, a little bit. I want to show you something. And then verse 20. I say unto you. Underline that. Verse 22. I say unto you. Underline that. Verse 26. I say unto thee. Underline that. Verse 28. I say unto you. Underline that. Verse 32. I say unto you. Underline that. Verse 34. I say unto you, underline that. Verse 39, I say unto you, underline that. And one more, verse 44, I say unto you. Now, we can look at these. There's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight nine nine times the lord says i say unto you now what we get into next we get into next here is we see see an interesting thing where jesus uh says that you have heard of old time it said this you've heard before it said this that they told you this before but i say unto you I have a question for you folks i have a question for you who who has authority who has authority to do that to to quote scripture to quote scripture but to say but i say unto you to modify this who has authority to say otherwise to say something like that who has authority to quote scripture and then say but i say unto you do can prophets do that quote scripture and then say but i say unto you can an angel quote scripture and then say but i say unto you as in to change the law to change scripture to change these things who has authority to change what is written well when we take a look in a, in a sense at um say the author of a book someone who wrote a book only the author has authority to change the story for example, Jesus says, this cup is the New Testament, New Covenant. Who has authority to, to do away with the Old Covenant and establish a New Covenant? Who has authority to say, you've heard of old time, an eye for an eye, but I say unto you to turn the other cheek. It used to be, that if someone someone hit you hit him back an eye for an eye tooth for a tooth break my tooth i'll break yours hurt my eye i'll hurt yours but now it's changed who has authority 
God. So therefore, we see the these nine times, these nine declarations by Jesus. The nine declarations by Jesus is nine times Jesus is establishing his deity. Something to think about. But look what he says. Think not that I'm come to destroy the law of the prophets. I'm not come to destroy, but to fulfill. I'm fulfilling this, and this is how. I have authority. For verily I say unto you, I say unto you, I'm telling you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle, that's yod and tetel, that is the smallest marks in the Hebrew, the smallest marks in the Greek. Till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Till all be fulfilled. Now we see in Psalms chapter 12, verses 6 to 7. Psalms 12. Oh, that's Job. I want Psalms. Psalms chapter 12, verses 6 and 7. The words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace of earth purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. The Lord will preserve his word unto all generations. For as long as the earth stands, as long as humanity exists, as people exist, his word will, uh, will stand forever. Well, we're going to be alive for all eternity. Well, then his word is established for all eternity then. That's what that's saying. But we also see in another one in Psalms 138. Let's go to Psalms 138. Psalms 138, verse 2. Psalms 138, verse 2. I will worship toward thy holy temple and praise thy name, for thy loving kindness and for thy truth, for thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. Thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. No, we've mentioned this before. How high and holy are the names of Jesus Christ? How high and holy is the word of God then? Not one jot, not one period, not one comma, not one apostrophe, not one single dot or swipe in all of the scriptures will ever fade away. So that in and of itself proves that there's no lost text, lost books, or lost manuscripts of scripture. It's established for all eternity. I say unto you, the word of God is preserved unto all generations. I say unto you, this is how the gospel is meant to be. I say unto you that this is what works are for. I say unto you, this is how the law is meant to be. So it doesn't matter what, what uh, popes, kings, and priests may say. It doesn't matter what other writings, catechism, commentary, councils, or creeds say. It doesn't matter what other preachers and, and so-called prophets and apostles say. It matters what the Lord says. The Lord says, I say unto you, it is written, thus saith the Lord, this is how the gospel, the, the works, the law, the deeds, all these things, this is how it's meant to be. I say unto you. Do you see the establishment of authority? The establishment of authority because only god can uh, can say 
things like this. Prophets can't talk like this. Angels can't talk like this. Holy men can't talk like this. Only God can talk like this. That the vocabulary of absolute authority. Does this make sense? Do you understand what I'm saying? Does this make sense? Someone let me know that this makes sense. Give me a thumbs up or something. Let me know this makes sense. So the, the importance of understanding of I say unto you, the Lord has said, it doesn't matter what anyone else says. It doesn't matter what, what other books may, may say, what other people have written. It doesn't matter what traditions are. It doesn't matter uh, how old the practices, traditions, and the beliefs may be. It matters what the Lord flat out says. And you see it clearly. You see it clearly. Clearly. As the Lord has said. What Paul is saying clearly. What James is saying clearly. That there are no contradictions in the word of God. This isn't a, a contradiction between Paul and James. There are no contradictions because God is not the author of confusion and he will not allow his word to be corrupted. So therefore, it, there is no headbutting and battle of doctrine in the scripture. They got Paul's gospel and James' gospel. No, it's the same gospel. So we have to understand, okay, what is the context of what they're talking about then? Okay. One jot or one tittle shall no wise pass from the law to all be fulfilled. And then he goes to give some examples here. <clears throat> Again, he's talking to his disciples. Whosoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments and teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Okay, so what's he getting at here? Look at the language here. Who is Jesus talking to? He's talking to his disciples. Whosoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments. Which commandments? The Beatitudes. <laughs> the Beatitudes, for example. This is what he was just talking about. These least commandments about mercy and grace and forgiveness of these things, things that we easily forget and brush aside, that our own emotions can get the best of us and we can drop these things. Look, it says, uh, uh, Whosoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments, he should be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. No, it doesn't say that. Because we break them all the time, right? We break them all the time. On a daily basis, we could be, we could have had a bad night's sleep and we're all grouchy and we're not being very forgiving, very merciful. We're not being very meek. Your coffee didn't turn out right. So therefore you're not very pure in heart at the moment. You're having a bad day or something else could have happened and you're just off, off, uh, on a bad note. It happens. It's not an excuse, but I'm just saying it happens. We do this all the time. We break the least of the commandments. We break the commandments all the time on a regular basis. That's why the Lord doesn't say that whoever breaks the least of these shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. He doesn't say that. Rather, he says, whosoever shall break one of these least commandments and shall teach men so. Like, for example, 
pe uh, people being aggressive and belligerent and unloving all this stuff and teaching others to be like that getting others other people to be racist to be hateful to be bigoted to be unforgiving to be unmerciful uh, teaching other people that, that that to to be not meek by their behavior uh, uh, inciting others to aggressivity to negativity shall teach others so look what he says he doesn't say you'll be cast out of heaven it doesn't say you're not saved he says rather that those who do these things and teach men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven so therefore even in this we see the whole commandment keeping people if you don't keep the commandments you're not saved jesus says well even if you break these things you'll still go to heaven you'll just be called the least in the kingdom of heaven that uh, you won't get very many rewards and you'll be you'll be of a as it says least in the kingdom of heaven okay so does that mean i'm still saying i just go do whatever i want no why would you want to why would you want to be like that you wouldn't want to but he's just showing you something here so the whole law keeping commandment keeping people the workspace people they need to read their bibles whosoever shall break one of these least and shall teach men so now how how could i for example hypothetically teach you to break these commandments and would i be outright saying saying you know you don't you shouldn't be poor in spirit that that yeah no rather we need to be like this we need to elevate ourselves we need to, no, no 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 by by teaching for example instead of being poor in spirit which is humble of spirit humble humble of ourselves under the mighty hand of god dying to self rather uh, be teaching you that you need to maintain you have to work you have to do these things to earn favor with god and it becomes a prideful thing look how good and holy i am look what i've done look what they're doing they aren't doing what i'm doing lord i do this and like the difference between the pharisee and the poor man and uh, the publican would not so much as lift his eyes to heaven but beat upon his chest say lord forgive me a sinner but the Pharisee exalted himself by, look what I do, look what I do, I'm not like them. Teaching others to be prideful. Teaching others aggressivity towards other people, not being meek. By hating upon sinners. Hating the lost or being angry and spiteful and name-calling and deriding other, uh, other people or deriding the unsaved so shall teach men so there are a lot of preachers that do that there's a lot of professed christians that do that name call hate upon mock scoff the unsaved instead of sorrowing uh, over them and seeking to draw them unto the lord instead of praying for them we rather we curse them now the same mouth proceeds both blessing and cursing ought not such a thing so to be and shall teach men so he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven i say unto you jesus says it doesn't matter what other people say or think or feel. I say unto you, Jesus says, this is how it is. You're least in the kingdom of heaven if your attitude is unchristlike. But if on the other side, on the other side, but whosoever shall do these commandments, keep these things, and shall teach them, 
to teach others to be loving, merciful, graceful, poor in spirit, uh, uh, meek and peacemakers, and shall teach others so. Shall do this and teach it, shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. You, you want to be considered great in the kingdom of heaven? You want the Lord to bless you, to work with you? You want the Lord the Lord to exalt you? Exalt not thyself, but let the Lord exalt you. Let, uh, uh, boast not thyself. But shall be, uh, shall be great in the kingdom of heaven. I say unto you, Jesus says. Something to think about. Verse 20. But I say unto you. Now here we go. I say unto you, that except your righteousness, okay, so what, what, what does he mean by your righteousness? That would be your good works in Christ. That, that's what that's addressing. That's what that's uh, uh, meaning there. That except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. Wait a minute. Wait a minute, Jesus, you, you you just finished talking about a bunch of times how the Pharisees are wrong, that their righteousness is wrong, that their works and deeds are wrong, that they are children of their father, the devil, and that, that they're all off on the wrong focus and they're abusing the law and they're teaching for doctrines, the traditions of men. Lord, what do you mean that I have to, that my righteousness needs to exceed, be better than theirs? Are you saying that I have to be a better Pharisee than them? No, 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 no. That's not what he means. Because look what he says here. Context. What has been established? What is the clear of Scripture? That except your righteousness shall exceed, be, uh, be better than, of a better quality than theirs. What is, what is your righteousness? What is their righteousness their righteousness is all about self it's all about self well what is a form of righteousness that is better than that the righteousness of jesus christ because if i seek to if i seek to establish a righteousness of my own my righteousness then would be the same as theirs. But if I seek a better righteousness, higher, better, of a better degree, better quality, that is accepted by God, I have to decrease. I must decrease, he must increase. Poor in spirit. It's not about me dying to self. It's not about me. The righteousness of Jesus Christ is better. So accept your righteousness, so my righteousness ceases to be mine. Okay? My righteousness ceases to be mine. And there, then therefore, my, quotation marks, my righteousness is the righteousness of Jesus Christ and not the righteousness of my own personal deeds. Make sense? <clears throat> now look what he says here, though. We're, we're kind of going back and forth. We're going back and forth. He's talking about, he talks about salvation. Then he talks about the deeds, the deeds of the hands. He talks about a, a, a salvationary righteousness. And then he's talking about a righteousness of deeds of works. So we see that they're, 
there's a difference. There's uh, the Paul, uh, Paul, what he talks about in righteousness, and then what James talks about in righteousness. Back and forth, back and forth. Because look what he says here in verse 20. That except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, look what he says, ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. This is now, now Jesus has switched back and now he's addressing a salvationary righteousness. Not as in the righteous deeds of the saints, which is the Christ likeness, which is for promotion, proclamation, which is for witnessing evangelism and all this to draw the lost and to, to glorify God. It's not talking about that righteousness. That righteousness of the righteous deeds of the saints do not affect salvation. There's only one form of righteousness. There's the righteousness of the saints. And then uh, there's, the, the, there's all this, of the things that we do uh, for the purpose of promotion. And then there's the righteousness, which is salvationary. Look what he says here. Ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. So this is salvationary righteousness. Unless your righteousness unto salvation is better than that of the Pharisees, which is self, you will not enter heaven. So I seek not the righteousness of my own for salvation. See it? You see it? This is why you need to read the word of God slowly why well, you need to pay attention to the specific words and see the switching of the back and forth the context of the sentence well now what they're addressing because sometimes like this the lord talks about one thing and then he talks about something else and he's back again people get mixed up when they don't study the word of God carefully. They don't pay attention to the context. They don't pay attention to the points that are being made. You see that? All right. Awesome. Okay. Verse 20. Let's look at it again. That accept your righteousness... So what, so what then therefore becomes our righteousness unto salvation? The righteousness of Jesus Christ, which is what? Which is imputed, given. It is a gift that is established upon ourselves. And he washes us by his righteousness, cleanses us, seals us, saves us, establishes us in his hand. Writes our name in his book, his righteousness. That is the righteousness that gets us into the kingdom of heaven. And once we are established, we then go and promote this righteousness. We promote the, uh, the, the good deeds so that the saints are strengthened, the church is built, and the God is glorified, and the lost are brought to Christ. That, the deeds... Don't affect the salvation. There's a difference. 
There's a difference. There's the righteousness unto salvation. And then there are the righteous works, the righteous deeds, which do not affect salvation. Okay. <clears throat> this is why we need to read slowly, study carefully, pay attention to specific words, see the differences, the switchings of the back and forth of the conversation where they go from point to point to point to point we got to be able to establish the points and see them and see the differences and each individual point we then break it down and see where else in the word of god is to talk about to get a, a deeper better more thorough grasp of each point <clears throat> otherwise we're going to wind up all twisted up like the people <clears throat> excuse me like the people that every time you say something about the gospel and being by grace through faith, they're like, you know, faith that works is dead. Faith that works is dead. Faith that works is dead. Just thousands of those. Faith that works is dead. They don't understand the difference. They do not see the difference. You know, they don't see the change of the of righteousness as unto uh, which is salvation and the righteousness which is of the deeds, and that they don't cross. The one is salvationary, the other is not. Jesus is establishing this. He says, I say unto you, this is how it is. I say unto you about the righteousness of the light, of the deeds to draw people. And I say unto you, this is righteousness which is unto salvation. It is better than that of the Pharisees. It is not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, as any man should boast. All right. <clears throat> okay purely says i've never before read this chapter slow enough to have had that part click least in heaven exactly exactly if you see this is what happens when you read slowly study slowly pay attention to the points okay so let's go over to mark chapter 7 mark chapter 7 verse 7 Mark 7, 7. Because what is Jesus saying about if your righteousness does not exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees and the scribes, you don't enter heaven. Because why? What is their righteousness? The righteousness, the, the corrupted so-called righteousness of the Pharisees and them. What is that? Mark chapter 7, verse 7. Look what Jesus says. Howbeit in vain, pointless, worthless, no value in vain do they worship hold up hold up let's let's look at this back up verse six he answered and said unto them well hath as isaiah prophesied of you hypocrites as it is written, this people honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Howbeit in vain do they worship me. Teaching for doctrine, the commandments of men. Laying aside the commandment of God, ye hold the tradition of men as the washing of pots and cups, religiosity, washing of things and the cleansings and many other such things ye do. For well ye reject the commandment of God that ye may establish your, ye may keep your own tradition. Look what it says here. Look what it says here. 
They teach her doctrines, the traditions of men. And they think that is righteousness enough for salvation. You see that? You see that? Unless your righteousness exceeds that, which means be better than, of a better quality, a higher value. That which is accepted by God. In a salvationary sense. Okay? Because what James establishes is that it's, it's, uh, what he's talking about, James is talking about, is not salvationary. It pairs with Peter of the drawing of the lost to Christ. You say you, you're a Christian. Words are cheap. Prove it. Words are cheap. Prove it. Anyone can say they're a Christian. Well, how can you prove that you are? Conviction of sin, conviction of righteousness, love of the brethren, love of the faith, uh, studying of the word of God, uh, uh, the prayer of faith, the witnessing of the gospel, the serving, uh, uh, serving of the saints. There's all kinds of things that can prove and establish this while you are saying the things, the doctrine, the teaching, the theology. While you're saying this stuff, there's establishment, proof, manifestation of proof and power, as well as we see the Lord working with you. Where's proof of the Lord working with you? The Lord working with you, confirming the word with signs following. Where is the evidence? James is talking about uh, a different justification. There's justification of unto salvation, uh, which is by grace through faith alone. Then there's the justification before men, as I mentioned before. There's two different justifications in the word of God. There's two forms. There's justification of spirit, that is justification of salvation, just as if I've never sinned, justified before God. What justifies me before God unto salvation? By grace through faith alone in the Lord Jesus Christ alone. What justifies me before men? The works and the deeds. Faith alone justifies unto salvation. Works justifies before men. There's two different justifications. Two different. But the justification for men, that is not salvationary. That does not affect your salvation. Does that make sense? Do you see that? That's what the word of God says. Because the clear interprets the unclear. There's that which is salvationary and that which is not. And we need to establish that. Does that make sense? <laughs> There's a lot of people just don't see this they don't get this it doesn't make sense to them because they've been indoctrinated brainwashed by the righteousness of the scribes and pharisees they've been caught up in that crowd and they somehow think that their deeds the washing of cups and pots that their religiosity their deeds and their keeping of commandments and law which you can't keep the law anyways their keeping of commandments and law somehow earns them a spot in heaven jesus says no they are lost children of the lost and they don't understand they've corrupted the gospel and they've made the work of christ insufficient that yes jesus did all that but i now need to do something in addition to believing to earn my myself a place you are literally devaluing the cross and saying saying that the work of jesus christ is insufficient that it's not enough of what he did his atonement wasn't enough 
That's heresy. That's blasphemy. Even uh, even unaware by many, they don't know. They aren't unaware that that is actual heretical blasphemy, a false gospel. And then what happens is they'll stand before the Lord, and they will cry, "Lord, Lord." Have we not prophesied in thy name? Have we not cast out devils in thy name? And in thy name done many wonderful works? Have I not done? 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 done? You know, say, depart from me, I never knew you. Ye that work iniquity, ye that work iniquity. The working of unrighteousness is the is the preaching and the teaching, the working of works and deeds for salvation that is working iniquity works and deeds that may in and of in and of themselves be good like charity help and helping the widows and the poor and the sick and the needy and going and doing all these things that in and of themselves are good things but the purpose the intent the purpose the intent of those deeds is a wrong intention the reason you're doing these things is to build up yourself a case before God to justify yourself unto salvation. God says, no, that's iniquity. That's wrong. That's sin. That's a false gospel. That won't get you here. You'll scream, Lord, Lord. This is why the message of the Sermon on the Mount was not preached to the multitudes. Now, do you see that? This is why Jesus did not preach this to the multitudes. Because the preaching of the Sermon on the Mount about Christ's likeness, the Beatitudes, the, the do's and do nots of all these things uh, for good deeds and good righteousness is for the saints. Not for the lost. The lost need to hear, repent and believe the gospel. Then the Sermon on the Mount applies to you. Then you bring in the works and the deeds. After you've believed. But until you've believed, this is not meant for you. You could do all the good deeds and all the, keep all the beatitudes and all this stuff. And you'll still be thrown in the lake of fire. You'll still be condemned. You're still lost in your sin. You will hear, depart from me, ye that work iniquity. This is why the Sermon on the Mount was not preached to the multitudes. Okay? Jesus is teaching his disciples, the apostles, showing them. He's showing them the differences. He's showing them the points. He's showing, he's instructing and teaching them, teaching them how to be able to understand the differences of these things so they could go and teach other saints. So that they could instruct others also in this, in the proper application of law and grace, of commandments and, and, and of all these things, of the differences between that which justifies us before God and that which justifies us before men. Jesus is teaching, showing them that. This is an instructional. This is a class of, by Jesus. So, yeah. Uh, uh, Glory to God says, What about preachers who say we're doing good works for rewards in heaven? Is that right? 
that that's a, di a different thing. They're not they're not implying uh, in any way, shape, or form that the good deeds and the works affect salvation. But rather, the scriptures do say there will be rewards in heaven, and that we will be rewarded for the things we do. The Bible does say that. But if the reason, the only reason, if the reason you're doing the things is so that you can receive rewards that that's a wrong focus that you're they're not understanding that we do these things not to earn anything the reason we do these things jesus says if you love me if you love me keep my commandments if you love me go and tell them if you love me this is what you need to do so that the point is that the rewards i don't care about the rewards the only reason I do these things, I do the works and I do all this stuff is because I love the Lord Jesus Christ and I want to show him unto others. I couldn't care less about the rewards. Those who say, well, we're doing these things to earn rewards. Well, there may be rewards, yes, but that's a misfocus. That's what I would say to that. That's a misfocus. But technically, yes, but it's a misfocus. All right. And uh, let's go a little bit more. Let's go a little bit more. Maybe one more. So as we see, as we've established here, where Jesus says nine times in Matthew chapter five, nine times, am I right? Yep, I think so. Nine times, Jesus, I say unto you, I say unto you, I say unto you, I'm the authority of this doctrine, Jesus says. I say unto you, and prophets can't say that, angels can't say that, holy men can't say that. I say unto you, Jesus is establishing something here, proving his deity, proving himself. Okay, so... Okay, we see in verse 20, I see into you about righteousness. Verse 21. Now we see him switching again. Another point. Verse 21. Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, thou shalt not kill. Hold up. Who said that? Let's go back to Exodus. 20. Verse 13. Exodus chapter 20 is the giving of the Ten Commandments. God says, God says, and in verse 13, God says, Thou shalt not kill. Okay? Thou shalt not kill. Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, it was said, it is said by them of old time, thou shalt not kill. Well, who said that? God. And whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. Okay. But I say unto you, hold up. God said, thou shalt not kill. Who has authority 
to redefine the very commandments of the law. Who has authority to, to change, alter, define, redefine the very giving of the commandments of the law? Who has authority to do that? Moses? No. Elijah? No. Any of the other prophets? No. Any of the, of the priests? No. Of the kings? No. Who has authority? Angels? Michael? Gabriel? No. God. Only God has authority to change, alter, or redefine the very things of the scripture. Right? So therefore, it's a proof. This is, this is a proof of the very deity of Jesus Christ. The fact that Jesus says, God said this, but I say unto you, redefining it now, adding a further understanding of definition of this, adding to. Who has the authority to add and change or subtract? Because God says in Revelation, curses upon anyone, condemnation of hell upon anyone who alters, changes, adds, or subtracts from the scriptures. So who then, who then is allowed? Who's the author? Who's the author? Jesus says, Thou shalt not kill. Whoso shall kill shall be in danger of judgment. But I say unto you, verse 22, that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. How many of you folks had siblings? It's quite easy to get angry at siblings. Uh, but we see brethren as in um, the saints, brothers and sisters in Christ, brethren in the family of God. Then we see bro uh, bro brother meaning fellow man as well. We see in verse 22, But I see to the whosoever is angry with his brother shall be in danger of the judgment. No, it doesn't say that. It does not say whoever is angry with his brother is in danger of the judgment. It doesn't say that. It says angry, angry with his brother without a cause. Without a cause. Because there are points of reason to get angry. God gets angry. He's angry with the wicked every day. So we do see there are points... There's times of anger. So there needs to be a cause. But if there is no real cause, now this now what would be a cause in this sense here? As Jesus says, judge not after the appearance, but judge all things uh, by the word of God. Uh, we're not to judge uh, according to our feelings, judging according to our senses, uh, according to appearance, but a cause that would be justified before God. So we see righteous anger is a biblical thing and is proper, right? That's anger against sin, anger against abomination, anger against things that go against the Lord and his ways. But this anger needs to be tempered with meekness and mercy and forgiveness. The same, same kind of attributes that God would show. God is angry with sin, but at the same time, he shows a merciful hand of grace unto the person that has offended him. 
So you see, there's a proper way of doing this, a tempered temperance, a part of the fruits of the spirit in Galatians 5. Temperance, that means a tempered, controlled anger. Not, not the temporary insanity of just exploding, getting mad, throwing things and slamming doors and punching holes in the wall. That, not, not that kind of thing. So you see, whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause, not it just to, to be hateful, spiteful, like for example, talking about an example here, like racism, hating another person just because of their color, hating another person because of their language, their nationality, hating another person because of this or that, something about them that you don't like, so you just hate them, something about that their, their lifestyle, you so you just hate them. That shows no love of Christ, no Christ-likeness, no conviction of the Spirit of God, no understanding of the love of God. What does it say? You shall know them, you shall you shall know them by their love. The love of God is manifested through them. I say, whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. Because what is one of the very Roofs of the Spirit of God within us. Love of others. That the Christ likeness that comes out and, and a, lo a longing and a desiring to see these souls, to see these people come to the knowledge of the Lord. That you want them to understand the truth. That you don't just hate them, ignore them, and be spiteful against them. That that's, that's the fruits of the unholy spirit of the enemy. But look what he says here. Shall be in danger of the judgment. And whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. And whosoever shall say, Thou fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. Okay. Now, look at this. And whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka, that means empty-headed and worthless to tell someone that they are worthless valueless you know like when you you're really mad at someone and you start chirping back you start name calling them and you're hating on them and you say you're just a worthless individual to call someone worthless valueless pointless shall be in danger of the council. What is that? The judgment of the word of God. Because what does the word of the Lord say? Which will prove you wrong and put you in your place as you are wrong. And what you just did was a crime against the Lord. Because the Lord says you have, you have so much value that the God of the universe, the God of all things, the maker of all things, God Almighty, came down and went to the cross for you you have so much value that the king of heaven gave his life's blood for you you have so much value that that both heaven and hell are after your soul or at a war for your soul that's how much value you have that you are made in the image of god and as the scriptures say that god has made all the nations of the world of one blood God has made all the nations of the world of one blood. Nobody is valueless. Nobody 
is worthless. Nobody is pointless. And whosoever shall say, thou fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. Because what does the word of God say? The fool says in his heart, there is no God. To declare someone a fool is saying that they oppose the Lord and they're on their way to hell. You want to be careful with statements of judgment. Very careful with statements of judgment and statements of condemnation. Be very careful about, about throwing around these kinds of statements. To curse people. Now this the context of this is in is in is in context of cursing individuals, of hating them, being spiteful towards them, calling someone names because you don't like them, because you're angry with them. That's the meaning of this. That's the meaning of this. This is about interpersonal relationships. That's the context of, of this of this point. As the Lord says, I say unto you. It doesn't matter how you feel. Well, Lord, you don't understand what they just did to me. <laughs> He's a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. He knows, he knows everything. But let me just ask you a question. How many times... How many times have you sinned against the Lord this week? How many times have you slandered him, slighted him? How many times have you upset him by your behavior, things you've done, said, thought? How many times has he forgiven you this week of things that you've done, even of things you didn't even know you did? Sins of ignorance, presumptuous sins, secret faults. I mean, sins that you don't even know, you're not even aware that you're committing these sins. But he shows you grace and mercy and meekness. And he forgives you. And then he forgets your sins. How many times has he forgiven and forget the sins that you do against him? You can forgive them. You can forgive the other people that slight you and slander you and mock you and scoff you and fight against you. And this is what he's getting at in verse 23 about interpersonal relationships and problems. Verse 23, therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar and there rememberest that thy brother hath aught against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother and then come and offer thy gift. Example, mocking, scoffing, hating, spiting, yelling, spitting, cursing, against others having all these things and then you go to church and sing oh how i love jesus the lord says in his word multiple times about how how if you are holding iniquity in your heart the lord will not even hear you your worship is vain it's pointless god is not hearing you he's not even listening to you. he's not paying attention to you because you are not showing the love of Christ. And he's not going to work with you. He's not going to work with this. Get yourself right. You got a problem with someone? Go get it dealt with. Well, they, they won't forgive me. That's their problem. The point is that you do your part. You wash your hands. You get yourself clean. Ignore them. Ignore them. Uh, 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 their, that's their part. The point is that you seek to make up the uh, and and try to solve the issue. Go to them and apologize. It takes two to tango. 
takes two to dance, takes two to fight. There's a side to each coin. Apologize for, for what you did. Apologize for the problem. Just get it over with. And if they don't forgive you in their bit, that's their problem. God will deal with them. You do. You deal with your part. Get yourself right first before going to worship the Lord or your worship is not going to be accepted. God's not going to accept your gift. All of your works and deeds are vain and empty and pointless. God is not listening or paying attention to any of it. Get your heart right. Leave there thy gift before the altar and go thy way. We also see this uh, kind of example in, is it 1 Corinthians? Yes, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We see uh, Paul laying out about the communion table where we uh, come together as saints of God and we fellowship and worship and sing and praise the Lord and then we break bread in the communion remembrance of our Lord. Understanding these things are symbolic only about the bread and the cup. Now let's let's take a look. Uh, oh, let's just read it. Starting at verse 23. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23. For I have received of the Lord that which I also delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he brake it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. See, it's symbolic. After the same manner also, he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as often as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. Okay. Verse 27. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself. And so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause, many are weak and sickly among you. Who's he talking about? The saints. Many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep, die. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. You come to the Lord, you want to serve the Lord, worship the Lord, and worship and praise and take part in the actual the sacred communion um, uh, remembrance that the Lord has given us, and you're holding in your heart unforgiveness, grudges, spite, anger, sin, keeping sin, you're not examining yourself, the Lord's going to judge you. Because that's nigh sacrilege. Standing before the Lord, sitting in front of the Lord in worship and praise, and and seeking to promote the Lord, but with dirty, defiled hands of sin and grudges and unforgiveness, and and, and being merciless and uh, breaking peace, not seeking righteousness, and, and the Lord's going to deal with that. He deals with us as as with dear children, whom the Lord loves. He chastises. The Lord chastises those that are his. The chastisement of God, discipline of God upon the saints, is a very, very real thing. Hating, cursing, 
being spiteful against others, the Lord will deal with that harshly. He'll deal with that. If you will not listen, he will start disciplining harder and harder and harder. And in worst case scenarios, 1 Corinthians 5, 5. In worst case scenarios, those that refuse the judgment of God, refuse to, to listen to this, refuse to repent, refuse to get themselves right. What does it say? In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 to 5, we see examples of individuals in the church that were being immoral. Immoral. There's fornication, incest, and all kinds of other horrible things going on in the church of Corinth that believers were doing. Can a Christian sin? Yes. Can a Christian sin badly? Yes. Can a Christian commit horrible sins? Yes. Can a Christian be immoral? Yes. The Spirit of God will convict you. Will will teach you, instruct you. Will uh, show you the difference. Will show you how to get yourself right. And he will forgive you if you repent. 1 John 1, 9. But if you keep rejecting the conviction, you keep pushing that aside, you sear your conscience with a hot iron. What does he say will happen? 1 Corinthians 5, 5. To deliver such an one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, not soul. You'll be handed over then. The Lord said, okay, fine. Okay, fine. I warned you. I showed you. I told you what happened. You're not listening. Okay, fine. He'll let you go. And the devil will come and will do what? Destruction of the flesh. Death. That the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. The spirit is still saved. And the flesh will be destroyed by the enemy. That you brought on yourself. Like Ananias and Sapphira. They were Christians. They sinned against the Lord. And judgment came upon them. And their lives were taken. But their spirit is still saved. There is a difference between the book of life and the Lamb's book of life. There are two books. The book of life, those that are alive physically, about physical life, that name can be struck out. Your physical life can be taken, but you are born again in spirit. You are given a new life. There's a second book of those that are spiritually alive. You can never be struck out of the Lamb's book of life. The two are not the same. So we see here is Psalm 26, verse 6. Psalm 26, verse 6. I will wash mine hands in innocency, so will I compass thine altar, O Lord. You, want, uh, you come to the altar and there you realize you have ought against your brother, go and get that dealt with. The, 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 that Jesus is literally quoting, Jesus is citing Psalm 26 verse 6. Get yourself clean, wash your hands before coming to the altar. As you see in Corinthians, examine thyself before taking part at the altar. Self-reflection. Self-examination. Agree. So we see here, 
uh, leave there thy gift before the altar and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother. Wash your hands, get, get it dealt with, get it settled, and then come and offer thy gift. Otherwise, the Lord will not even listen to your worship. He will not listen to your prayers. We see in Psalm uh, 9. Psalm 18. Nope. Uh, I forget the reference. It's a, a, um, if you're hiding iniquity in your heart, the Lord will not even hear you. The Lord will not even hear you if you're hiding iniquity in your heart. To hold, to hold sin, to unrepentant sin, grudges, your mistreatment of others, the Lord will not even hear you. Again, this is a message that Jesus taught, uh, gave, he taught the disciples. It's not meant for the, for the multitudes, for the crowd. This is for saints. So we back up and we see the Beatitudes of these things. If we examine these things, uh, we take a look at this, it reflects upon ourselves. Psalm 6618. Thank you. Someone's paying attention. See, this is why you take notes. Okay. I have notes somewhere, but I lost my notes. <laughs> Psalm 66, 18. If I regard iniquity, to regard, to means to hold, to, to have in my hand and not let go. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. The Lord will not hear me. That's what it says. And I think there's another one. I remembered this one. Proverbs 28, verse 9. He that turneth away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer shall be abomination. God hates that. He hates that. Now, listen to this. He that turns away his ear from hearing the law. Now, just a moment. What is the law? The whole counsel of God. The whole counsel, the whole word of God, the whole scriptures from, from cover to cover. Everything that it says here. You turn away your ear, you don't want to listen to this. You don't want to pay attention to what it says about being meek, about being merciful, about being pure in heart. What it says about being peacemakers, about not rendering it to them evil for evil. What it, You don't want to accept what it says about turning the other cheek. You don't want to accept what it says about certain sins and whatnot. You're turning away your ear from that. You're plugging ears. You're not listening. Your prayers are abomination to God. God is disgusted with and hates that. You're coming to him, talk, telling him how much you love him and how much you serve him and how you want the Lord to help you. But you are being unloving, unchristlike, a spoiled, rotten, a spoiled, a spoiled child. The Lord is disgusted with that. Think about that for a moment. Think about that. Could it be? Could it be that that right there may be a part of the reason 
why we don't see much of the hand of God in today's churches. While we don't see much effectiveness in the saints today. Because so many of the saints are at each other's throats, hating, being spiteful. Uh, We see it's almost like clan on clan wars. Anger, mockery, disgust, spite, unloving, unmerciful corrupting our Christian values, compromising our convictions, air conditioning hell, watering down sin. Could this be why we don't see much of the effectiveness of the church today? Think about it. Jesus says, I say unto you, this is how it is. Something to think about something to think about so i think we'll wrap that up there still got a whole bunch more i think it's going to be taking a long time to get through the sermon on the mount that portion of matthew Uh, but uh, it's good just bit by bit it's bit by bit so there you go some things to think about do you have any comments questions issues insights anything you'd like to add to anything that stuck out to you in this anything you'd like to discuss please go ahead share share away be glad to hear from you so if you appreciate these studies please give us a like give us a thumbs up make sure you subscribe hit notification bell icon so you know we put up new videos and check out all our other videos we have tons and tons of other content other goodies uh playlists and other uh, uh books of the bible walkthroughs uh other videos different doctrines and teachings and points and stuff please make sure you check it out playlists on archaeological discoveries that prove the bible true and uh playlists on evangelism all kinds of other stuff in there please make sure you check it out as well as our website christiancoffeetime.ca we have links to all our other platforms as well as we have free downloadable gospel track pdfs and uh, tons of other goodies there as well you can take advantage of so we see there's so much to consider in what jesus is teaching here in the sermon on the mount um it's just each point you could spend a lifetime studying and reflecting on and it's just but that's the grace of god is yes there's a lot there but his mercy his grace is there we just sit down and just take our time just go through it read slowly pay attention to the points point by point step by step word by word what is it saying how is it being said how how can you pair this with the rest of the word of god rightly dividing the word of truth learning to be as a berean searching the scriptures thoroughly search the scriptures to see if these things are so what what does the word of god have for me in this examine yourself self-reflection examine yourself see if you're in the faith and examine thyself before coming to the altar before you come to serve the lord examine yourself wash your hands in innocency lord are my hands clean get yourself clean thou shalt uh, uh, confess see in first john 1 9 if we confess our sins he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness it doesn't matter what you've done it doesn't matter how much spackle of mud is upon you it doesn't matter how long you've been rolling around with the pigs get up start walking back the lord will run and embrace you and put on you a clean robe he'll wash you clean and he'll say come walk with me get yourself right this is what it's about 
so yeah point by point examine yourself examine these things how, how can you strengthen better your walk with christ well here's how here's some things to to understand okay um uh, Baki says thanks for highlighting that our prayers are blocked if we have unforgiveness malice etc in our hearts i think this is heavily overlooked in today's christianity yes yes i agree heavily heavily overlooked like one point and some some of you may possibly get your your uh your feathers ruffled on this and you get your fur uh, uh up on this but political christians are guilty of this hating other christians that may have other political stances than you that may see different social issues different than you and you get angry at them name call them deride them be very careful of that be very careful because who you are getting mad at god loves unconditionally he atoned for them too he so loves them too he went to the cross for them too they were made in the image of god too they have they have uh, no less value than you do we're all seen as equal in the eyes of god the only difference is are you saved or are you unsaved that's all god sees that's what he's going to be judging whether you're saved or unsaved that's all that matters so be very careful about cre- creating new schisms and uh, different uh, va- value ratings by our own personal standards. Be very careful of that. Hating other people because of their stances of things that, that you, you may disagree with. But how does God see it? Not the God of, uh, of, not the God of our perception the god of our understanding not the, the 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 god of this political stance the god of this social stance rather the god of the bible what does god of the bible say the god of the word of god say what does he say this is what matters this is righteousness this is what god accepts and except your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and pharisees Scribes and Pharisees were very schismatic. Very schismatic. They had no mercy, no meekness. They had no grace, no forgiveness. Let us not be like that. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. For we do not yet even know how to pray as we ought. But the Spirit of God teaches us how to pray. We don't even know how to pray right. <laughs> I always see that kind of like when we come to prayer, it's like when a little toddler comes waddling up to the parent and just starts babbling away, trying to talk and trying to use fancy words that they heard or whatever. <laughs> but the parent knows what the toddler's trying to say, but the toddler thinks that they're being really profound or something. Toddler doesn't even know how to talk right. We don't even know how to pray right. We don't know how to do anything right. So let us not become puffed up and prideful in ourselves. Rather humble ourselves, poor in spirit, seeking righteousness of God. Let us be the peacemakers to walk in Christ, in the love of Christ, showing the gospel of Jesus Christ by our deeds, 
that in everything that you do, even in eating and drinking, do all to the glory of God, that whatsoever thy hand finds to do, do with all thy might, to honor thy Father in heaven. Love your neighbor as yourself. God doesn't need your good works. Your neighbor does. Some things to think about. So there you go. And purely says, may we humble ourselves and let the conviction do its job. Amen. So on that note then, we'll wrap it up there. Thank you so much for joining in, folks. God bless you. Again, sorry for all the interruptions earlier. Again, who knows what in the world's going on. Our internet just uh, likes to play games every once in a while. So sorry about that. I uh, hope you could just overlook that. And uh, as you saw, we just keep going, just keep motoring through. So um, just try to look past the interruptions. So with that, God bless you. God bless all those who love our Lord God, Jesus Christ. God bless all those who love his holy word. Hope to see you again. And as always, if I don't see you again, I'll see you in the sky. God bless.